you know, the the economic aspect is something that takes people a long time to get. Uh, you know, there, there are plenty of people that will get on Tether because they trust the dollar, right? Um, really, the, um, the big thing that they need to get is the economic uh, reality, which is that you have a harder money in Bitcoin than this um, sort of easy money with, uh, with, with the U.S. dollar. The U.S. healthcare system is entirely the result of fiat money, right? Like uh, the way that these industries attracted workers was by giving them better benefits and like healthcare ended up being one of those things. And it's sort of been enshrined and everything in fiat tends to stay static once, uh, once something comes in because you, you have the money to keep it static. And the companies that are benefiting from it, like lobby regulators and so on to keep things static. And this is one of the really pernicious effects of inflation is that all the stuff that is around you is constantly debasing, constantly debasing. And the technological improvement is just not enough in most of these industries to offset the continuous inflation. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right, we are live in the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Jimmy, how's it going? Nice to meet you. It's going well. Nice to meet you too. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are at the commons and uh, it's a little empty because it's like 8.30 in the yeah. morning. So, yeah. we, we beat the early morning rush here, which yeah. uh, is good because then we can get a nice setup going, nice uh, conversation going. And yeah, for those of you who don't know Jimmy, he's a OG Bitcoiner, author, um, advisor, kind of just pioneer, especially down here in Texas in the, the Bitcoin space. So how does it feel being in the space for over a decade now, right? Yeah, uh, just about a decade. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a whirlwind. Obviously, it's uh it's very different than the career I envisioned for myself. And uh, you know, I, I I love that it's constantly changing, constantly evolving, constantly. You know, you you get hit with different things all the time, and uh, and all the while, everything is growing. So it. I'm a startup guy, right? I, I, I did a lot of different startups over many years. So in many ways, this feels, ha, has some of the same feel, right? Like where it's growing and things are happening, but it's uh, it's way more decentralized and, uh, and the people that are benefiting are way different than a typical startup, which is basically the founders and the VCs of that instead of, instead of like plebs. So... It, it it feels very different, yeah, in that way. Does it feel different in a better sort of way in terms of just how everything's set up and then mm. how it's been growing in a maybe a more, I guess, organic mm-hmm. uh, way? Yeah, um, the adoption curve is always it, it. It just sort of like goes as it goes, right? Because you know we have this myth that oh you can you can orange pill everybody by you know uh, like having a couple of ads on tv and maybe like having a nascar with a bitcoin sticker or something and it's like that's that's not how adoption works and you know this is sort of the 
big uh, mistake that a lot of marketers make. Uh, and if you come in from marketing, it's like, oh yeah, we can totally market Bitcoin and you know we'll say this and say that and then people will buy chunks of it. And, and like over the past 10 years, we've seen that's not how it works. Uh, it takes people years to get Bitcoin. So the adoption is very slow in, at, at any, for any individual. Uh, but collectively, it's, you know, it takes time, but man, it like just completely rips when, you know, when things are going well, like they are right now. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing to be observing. And, you know, it, it is very organic. I think it's a lot more permanent, uh, you know, like you're, you're actually getting people that really understand it uh, at, at the core uh, of the people that are owning it. And th those are the people that are benefiting it the most not the you know high time preference traders or whatever it's it, it incentivizes the right thing so i i think you do get much more of that organic word of mouth you know one person by one person growth um that i think uh we should be hoping for yeah yeah and i think anyone who's tried to orange pill their family or their friends kind of realizes that it takes a long time and it can be frustrating, especially just, yeah, for people you care about, but you realize you, they kind of have to get it on their own. You can't like force them to get it because then if it's just a quick thing, oh yeah, this is going to go up in price. Like they're not really buying in for the right reasons. That's definitely something that took me a while to understand, especially with my parents and, you know, friends, but everyone finds it at a different time. And I think that organic growth is, is better, but it does take longer and that's probably a good thing. And, and talking to Will Hill here yesterday, it's just, you know, the product services companies that need to be built out for all of this to keep growing in a sustainable way and then keep making those strides. Um, yeah, it all just kind of takes time and, and effort, but it's not really the marketing piece, like you're saying, I think is that that's not that important. It's going to market itself. We just need to build the services um, to, you know, provide that on-ramp for people and, and usability going forward yeah yeah we definitely need um something a little different right like uh we we uh it, it's not like any anything else in the market where you know you you just you know you have a new computer you just sort of you know display the features and then you know people buy it on that like a lot of people don't even know that they need Bitcoin, and that that's the that's the thing is they don't they don't until you see that you need it and like when when you do need it then then it becomes very important but until you see that you need it uh it it takes time um to get there uh i mean you're not going to really want it uh, until that point so uh but at the same time like uh it is a very low time preference kind of thing where you you have to wait for people and but when they do get it man do they really get it and uh, and it, it creates the holders that you need for, you know, for something like money where you, you have a deep liquidity pool because there are so many people that are, uh, that believe in it so much. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's good and it's bad. Uh, it's bad in the sense that, you know, the eschaton is coming quickly enough, but there's plenty of, um, of good things about it, especially with regard to like the conviction that the people have, it, it it's almost by definition not able to be like a tulip bubble because 
you know, with, with tulips or whatever, like just everyone stops believing at a certain point and it, you're, you're sort of playing on the greater fool thing. The, the base layer of holders in Bitcoin, they really get it. They're, you're, you're not going to knock them off of Bitcoin. Um, and that, that makes for a much more solid base. And th- this is why it continues to increase, be, uh, you know, even if you have like fluctuations from, uh, you know, the speculators and so on, because you have more believers each time. Yeah, that conviction becomes real, just especially cycle to cycle. I think people realize it. For me, it's, you realize actually when you have that true conviction, you're probably happier when the price goes down, actually. <laughs> and that's how I feel right now. I'm like, oh, it's ripping. Come on. I kind of want to accumulate some more cheap sats. But that's a good feeling to have when either way you're kind of happy with how things are going because you want to, if it goes down in price, you're happy to accumulate more. If it goes up, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're able to have more value um, mm. from an asset perspective. But how did uh, you spend a lot of time last year traveling? How did that shape your perspective from a global kind of outlook? Because something that, you know, Peter McCormick and these guys talk about a lot um, is that Bitcoin is different to everybody in different scenarios. And here in the U.S., we're obviously very spoiled. And mm-hmm. although we have fiat currency, we have the best one. So mm-hmm. not everybody really understands broken money. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other areas of the world, this is an everyday really strong understanding and also plight for them to go through. Yeah, I, I don't know if a lot of the people that are suffering have really made that connection yet. And it's, it's again, that's going to take time. Um, what I've observed, like visiting a lot of these meetups in different cities is that, you know, it, it's who you would expect that are sort of like the first adopters, the Bitcoin maximalists or whatever. It's the people that are generally a little bit technical, maybe on the younger side, um, you know, uh, definitely libertarian leaning, and they they get it first. And then as um, you know, they spread the word, then other people tend to come in. And you know, the the economic aspect is something that takes people a long time to get. Uh, you know, there there are plenty of people that will get on tether because they trust the dollar, right? Um, and it's a weird phenomenon because there's there's a lot of there's actually more demand for tether oftentimes than than there is Bitcoin, uh, but that that's okay because they are at least getting used to the mechanics of it. But really, the um, the big thing that they need to get is the economic uh, reality, which is that you have a harder money in Bitcoin than this um, sort of easy money with uh with with the u.s dollar and you know at, at some point they'll get it it's just we tend to be very impatient in this community especially like the marketing types they want everything to happen now because that's that's you know they they think they have to sort of like catch the zeitgeist or there there's you know a limited time uh before you become stale or something and that's that's not what Bitcoin is. It's it's not the new hotness that you need to like convince everyone to adopt before something else comes along. That that's I think the complete mischaracterization that that plagues a lot of the people that are like uh, you know going rah rah for adoption. It's it, it it it's fine as it is, and you just need people to get it slowly, right? And get it uh, get the underlying reality rather than. Um, you know, hey, we we need you know this is like any other product or whatever. It's not. It's money. It's it, it's got different rules. There are different economic laws uh, that regulate it and stuff like that. Um, and it's it you you know it's it's not like uh, you know new fall fashion thing or whatever. 
it's not based on a season. It's based on, you know, this is long-term savings, right? Like, and that, that should change how people view it. Um, but unfortunately, too many people are sort of in that old paradigm, a weird paradigm. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition, you know, to obviously the past year and what you've been working on is your new book, mm-hmm. Fiat Ruins Everything. And you've authored books in the past, Program Bitcoin, Bitcoin the American Dream, which is right behind your head. <laughs> it's fun. But I think the education piece is huge for me. I mean, I've written a book, uh, it's half about Bitcoin, and I'm big on education, and I think it's a good way. So what was really there, the motivating factor um, to get something out in print, especially, you know, there are a decent amount of Bitcoin books out there. I guess your book is not have Bitcoin in the title, which is <laughs> fantastic. It's a good good change. And obviously the content is is fantastic as well. So what was really the inspiration behind getting that out there? Yeah, I, I was, uh, I, I've written a lot of books and they all have a very specific audience. So programming Bitcoin, it's for developers that don't know Bitcoin that want to learn. Um, you know, uh, the little Bitcoin book, it was uh, aimed at sort of people that didn't know that much about Bitcoin, but were interested in human rights. And Okay, here, here here's a book to sort of explain Bitcoin's importance in from that aspect. Uh, thank God for Bitcoin. It was aimed at Christians. It's like, okay, like, Go. Uh, this is why you need to learn about Bitcoin because it's more moral money. Um, and Bitcoin and the American Dream. It was uh, okay. Like it's aimed at politicians, regulators, people like that that don't understand Bitcoin at all. Here's a short read. Now you can understand your audience. Um, Fiat ruins everything. Was written for Bitcoiners, <laughs> and uh, you know, especially during bear markets and stuff. It's uh you know, like you, especially if it's your first bear market, you you tend to like waver and feel bad and stuff like that. This was a way to show the justness of our cause and to rally the troops a little bit and to show just what we're up against because fiat really does ruin so many things and things that you would never think of, like family formation or science or you know, the education system or whatever. And the idea was to lay all of that out with, you know, good arguments about how fiat ruins these things so that you'd have more conviction on the Bitcoin stack that you have and, you know, this journey that we're all on. And um, I don't know, it's been an interesting sort of uh, reception. A lot of people really like it. but yeah, I, hopefully it achieves the goal that it ha- uh, that I had, which was to get the people that are in Bitcoin to understand just like the what what we're up against and how much how good and beneficial Bitcoin actually is. Yeah, and I always think it's like it's a good read for people who are maybe on the cusp, right? Because it's not about like. Bitcoin. It's about why the current system's so messed up, and mm-hmm. it's very timely because it's you know since 2021, a lot of this has accelerated since 2020. Of course, mm-hmm. um, all the expansion, the injection of the monetary supply, people have realized that more and more that the money is broken, 
And it's like, here's a resource onto why this has been going on actually for, you know, the whole last 100 years. And yeah, I think, uh, I don't think it's just for Bitcoiners. I think it's a lot of people I'm definitely going to, you know, share with my family and friends that are, you know, they need more information to Mm -hmm. understand why this system is so broken and why, like you said, it's affected everything. And one of my, this podcast is probably 70% health related, maybe Mm -hmm. like 20 percent bitcoin and 10 percent other stuff mm. so that's where i'm really interested to bridge that gap as well as talking about when the money is broken um yeah like science academia the healthcare system these things are all broken as a result of that maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how that how you communicated that and how what did you uncover kind of researching those areas yeah, I mean, I, I didn't write a chapter on healthcare, yeah. though I, I think I could if I if I went down a little bit deeper. And I, I've actually talked to Andy Schoonover. He's yeah. uh, you know CEO of Crowd Health about maybe doing more about that. Because, but the U.S. healthcare system is entirely the result of fiat money, right? Like, uh, you know, if you if you look at the history of the U.S. healthcare system, there were, there were sort of like price uh, or price caps on like the income that you can make in a particular industry. And uh, and the way that these industries attracted workers was by giving them better benefits and like healthcare ended up being one of those things. And it's sort of been enshrined and everything in fiat tends to stay static once uh, once something comes in because you, you have the money to keep it static. And the companies that are benefiting from it like lobby regulators and so on to keep things static so you get you get uh you know some weird vestige of the post-war you know uh, late 40s early 50s era that that have essentially like kept going uh and we have this weird healthcare law you know obamacare which uh, came into existence which like from an efficiency standpoint, it's like the absolute worst of both worlds, right? Like if you have single payer, at least you, you know, everything goes through one place and you can optimize for that and uh, make that cheaper or whatever. Uh, or you can have like decentralized healthcare. Every, everyone like pays whatever, uh, you know, and it's like market-based or, or whatever, which is what I'm in favor of. But we, we have like the worst of both worlds. You have all the regulation of single payer and all the non-competition of single pair and all of the mess of uh, sort of like different standards and things like that, uh, standards of care where people just sort of get paid if they check some boxes. It's, 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 a, it's a terrible system. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's just one aspect of it. But, the, you know, right now the healthcare system is basically like five or six large insurance companies. Uh, even the hospital systems, there aren't that many, right, in the United States. And this this is a pattern of fiat money is that um, you usually get like five or six companies that control everything, control an entire industry. And there's sort of like cartel-like behavior um, that, that happens as a result. Now, the reason why you have five or six is because there's a huge advantage to being large in a fiat economy. Uh, you have access to the commercial bond market. You have access to newly printed money. Um, oftentimes you'll get government subsidies, bailouts, things like that. If you're large enough, if you're, if you're a mom and pop store or like small size in any of these industries, you don't get any of that. So there's this enormous advantage through the printing of fiat money that large companies get. So 
yeah, uh, healthcare is one of those things where you have five or six healthcare companies, five or six drug companies, um, you know, five or, or you know, a, a handful of hospital systems and things like that. Um, and it's not just healthcare; it's like all kinds of other things, like right, like uh, five like big ad companies and five, uh, yeah, yeah, just five uh, food processors, five accounting firms, five consulting firms, right? Like just everything is controlled by five. Five or six uh, large companies, and that that happens all over the economy. Um, because when you're a certain size, you have an advantage, and there's only so much of the market. And you know, around five or six is uh, like sort of like the optimum uh, in an economy like this, where okay, like right, the five or six airlines like <laughs> get all the bailouts or whatever. Uh, and that that that's sort of the game that everyone is playing. So you get. Uh, and, and essentially, these com- large companies become giant run seekers, right? Like they 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 tax transactions in some way, shape, or form without providing any value. So think about your health insurance, right? Uh, they really don't need to be there, and Andy's kind of proven it. Uh, like they they don't need to be sitting between the doctor or the healthcare provider and the patient, but they are, and they extract a tremendous amount of money, right? Like they collect health insurance premiums from the patient um, and then they pay out the doctor like eventually, right? Like it's uh, usually the billing cycle is uh, 45 to like 90 days or something like that. And uh, they don't provide anything. They, they push paper, right? Like the, like the actual care that's given is, is a joke, right? And, uh, and uh, of course, like they, they are sort of the gatekeepers or like sort of uh, the, the people that give permission for this type of surgery or this type, there, there's, they, they don't provide any value, and they, they're a giant vortex of, uh, you know, rent seeking, right? Like they, they, they take all of this money, like you, like where does your money go when you pay like two thousand dollars a month for your health insurance or whatever? Well, it, it's going to them. It's feeding all of these bureaucrats. It's, it's like, I mean, maybe some of it goes to your doctor, but that's like. Very, uh, like a very small percentage and you know what what Andy does with crowd health is amazing because you can you can see just how much value these health insurance companies are taking because they'll negotiate with the doctor directly okay we'll we'll pay cash and they're like oh oh in that case we'll 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 take a significantly less amount and uh you know you you cut out the middleman wow but like middlemen are all over the economy and it's not just healthcare; it's like food. It's uh, you know, um, well, science. Like yeah, sci- and science. It's education. It's uh, you know, all kinds of regulations around like transportation and like you know, everything has these giant companies that end up being middlemen, rent-seeking companies, and that that's that's a feature of fiat money because. Those are the companies that are stealing value from people that are actually doing productive work. And in the end, what, what you get are people that are getting poorer as a result because there are just so many rent seekers now in the economy where you know most, most families now, both parents work, right? Most families now, they can't afford a house, so they, they have to like rent and they can't have that many kids. Uh, like everything, it, we, we're just way poorer than we were 50 years ago because it used to be a single breadwinner. And, you know, you can you can afford a three bedroom house and, a, 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 you know, like with maybe two years of income, something like that. Now it's like eight years of income. <laughs> and so you, you have to have both both parents work uh, and, you know, no, no one can afford kids. It's we've all gotten poor. 
and uh, and rent seeking and these giant companies and the system that's been set up through fiat money. That's why. Yeah, I think the healthcare is a good example. And actually, we've had Andy on the show. We're gonna, I'm going to talk to him again mm-hmm. Friday. So really stoked about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not. That's just yeah, like you said, one example. And mm-hmm. the ag livestock industry is something I've written about a lot. It's it's insane. And something I'm curious is when did this start all accelerating tremendously? Obviously, we went off the gold standard '71. I know for ag food, mm-hmm. that was a big thing as well in terms of timing and subsidies. All came about. But yeah, when did this all really start to get bad? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been getting bad, I think, since the establishment of the Federal Reserve. But it really accelerated after 1971 when we cut ties to the gold standard. And and if you think about it, like the the reason why all of that happens is because of inflation, and it, it has this very weird effect on every company. So. Think about what what happens with inflation. So let me just give you a few statistics to begin. Uh, so the M2 money supply, U.S. dollar, all U.S. dollars in existence, that's like one way to measure. In 1959, $289 billion. Currently, it's around 20-something, 20 $21, 22000000000000 trillion, right? Like, so it's, uh, you know, gone up by a significant amount, right? Almost like 70 or 80x, somewhere around there. Um so what happened? How did we get 70? Well, they, they just expand the money supply. You annualize that and uh, uh, and that's the compound annual growth rate uh, ends up being somewhere around 7%. That, not coincidentally, is the hurdle rate for most investors. So you're just keeping up with the monetary inflation if you're going at 7%. Anything in addition, but, but the S and P five hundred is you know growing eight percent every year, so that's how you make money, right? <laughs> well, well, so S and P is actually right around seven percent, right? Like uh, real estate, maybe five, five and a half, right? Like uh, gold, somewhere around like uh, six, six and a half, something like that. So, uh, you know, all, all of these hurdle rates are you know basically like inflation. So, uh, you know, based on that number, and uh, by the way, other numbers are way worse. Uh, so, if you look at like global N two. Um, the expansion rate is somewhere around 14%. So that means for every United States, there's somebody that's like uh, 21%, right? Which is crazy. All right, so what happens with, let's just stick with the 7%. All right, what does that mean? That means that to keep the prices the same and companies hate raising prices because customers really hate uh, price increases. uh, what, what, What do you do as a company? Now, like every industry is getting better Right. Like, uh, so for example, in terms of like efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a health conscious food consumer, who's also very active, you know how big of a struggle it is to find a bar that is both convenient and nutrient dense. That's why I was so excited when I discovered the Alpha bar. The Alpha bar is a meat based bar that contains only simple ingredients, 100% grass fed beef, tallow, and honey, and is both nutrient dense and convenient and packs a caloric punch of over 300 calories. For me, this was a game changer and is now the go-to snack and fuel source I use when I'm hiking, camping, hunting, skiing, or doing anything in the outdoors and I don't have the resources to cook a full meal. The Alpa Bar is made proudly in Colorado and only uses locally sourced meat. JJ and Rob are also extremely based and accept Bitcoin for payment. I highly recommend you check out the Alpa Bar for any time you need a nutrient-dense and convenient snack on the go. Check them out at Eat 
alpha.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout to get a 5% discount. And if you pay in Bitcoin, you can get an additional discount on top of that. That's eataupa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout. So, for example, the Lightning industry, they, they manage to find like 1% or 2% efficiency in some way, shape, or form every year. So, whether it's fuel economy or like, uh, you know, fitting in more seats into the cabin or something, they, 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 uh, they figure out ways to get maybe one or 2% efficiency. And that's true of every industry. You, you have new innovations, new technologies, new things that, you know, maybe your uh, engineers come up with, maybe a new assembly line like tech, tech or maybe, you know, there, some parts got cheaper or something like that. But you, you can squeeze out one, 2%. Uh, every year just on that but now you have like five percent six percent left what what how do you how do you how do you keep that up well it turns out that uh that there there are a few choices one um and this is probably the best one it's the scale right um so you you have to get really big to get economies of scale yeah to get costs down because you you produce more to reduce the per unit cost and uh, you know you have to run these things very very efficiently which is why we have sort of this global supply chain right now right that's like depend like highly fragile very interdependent and you know you get you know lumber from uh, you know South Carolina that gets shipped to China and that gets assembled uh, somewhat and then gets shipped somewhere else and gets further assembled and then it comes back. It goes to Europe or something, and then that 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 gets sold there. Uh, all of that is like highly finely tuned for efficiency, and you need to do that. So scale is one way in which you can you can get some some of that savings, but that only goes so far. The other ways of doing it are way worse because you can debase your product, right? You can use cheaper ingredients. You can you can use. Um, cheaper labor which uh you know like locating to another place or whatever you have to reduce cost eventually you end up having to base your product maybe the first few years you can squeeze out enough efficiency by trying really hard but at a certain point you're uh, you you can't you can't um and then uh you you and most uh companies would rather debase their product and keep their prices the same rather than Keep uh, you know increased prices because they're in competition with other other uh, players, and you know you have these five or six big companies that are always at each other's throats. And you know if uh, if company A is keeping prices low by sort of scaling and debasing their product a little bit, well, company B is very much pressured to do the same. So how do you debase your product? Well, you could give less of a quantity, right? Like this, what we call shrinkflation. Um, or you could uh, you can use cheaper ingredients, which has been happening in food for a while now, right? Like everything has gotten like more and more debased. I mean, high fructose corn syrup, all kinds of like weird chemical ingredients that are very cheap to produce, and so on. So that debasement ends up hurting the consumer, um, and uh, and this is one of the really pernicious effects of inflation is that all the stuff that is around you is constantly debasing, constantly debasing. And the technological improvement is just not enough in most of these industries to offset the continuous inflation. So, you know, we, in a sense, the system we have is kind of inevitable for the monetary system we have because you need to be a giant company to have scale, to get access to loans and things like that. 
to keep the per unit cost down. But uh, and you know, and and the the other way to do it is uh, is through subs- direct subsidization, which often happens as well, where you know you have gas prices that are too high and. You need people to work because you need their productivity. So you you know subsidize that somehow, and, or you know big companies about to go under, you subsidize that, and um, you know maybe they're losing a lot of money on their electric cars or whatever, and you keep subsidizing it uh, instead of uh, you know letting uh, you know what market forces would ra- rather do with a lot of this stuff. So you get you get a lot of weird incentives as a result of fiat money. But the main thing that makes everything worse is inflation and the debasement that goes along with it. Yeah. Everything you just said is like, it. that is exactly what clicked for me when I realized the money is breaking everything, especially the food and, mm-hmm. and health system. And the food is su- it's such a good example because mm-hmm. people are like, well, why is there so much processed food and mm-hmm. why are they using all these crappy ingredients? It's because they, they have to. They have to make more money mm-hmm. or they're not keeping up. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, and then you especially if you borrowed money on mm-hmm. zero interest, which is also a result of fiat, and then you have to sit in front of investors telling them how you're going to make this money and mm-hmm. keep making more money. Then you're in this rabbit hole of you know debt and t- being tied to the fiat system. It's just you know it makes a lot of sense when mm-hmm. you realize because seven to eight percent growth of the money supply annually is a big number to overcome, but the consumers think inflation's two percent, so that's why they can't raise the prices. Probably more than two percent. Yeah, and uh, and it's not just food, right? Let's talk about the other part of the um, healthcare system, like healthcare providers, right? Uh, it, it's crazy, but re- I, I I don't know if you remember, but many years ago, you know, doctors had this reputation for playing golf all the time. Do you remember that, right? Like, uh, okay, like. Yeah, oh that that's a doctor. They're they're going and playing golf on a Wednesday afternoon or whatever. Uh and that that used to be the case, right? Cuz they didn't have to work all that much to make a pretty good living. Uh but what what has inflation done to doctors? Well, they don't have a reputation for playing yeah. golf anymore. It's I can a tell carousel. you, their office door is a carousel. Yeah, and uh you know, I I I used to work for Athena Healthway back in the day and we uh and I worked on like the patient scheduling system and stuff and you know one of one of the thing one of the features that they all wanted was the ability to double and triple book why would you need that why 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 do you have like the same 30 minute slot to three different patients well i mean think about what the doctor has to do they they have so much pressure cuz they they get paid less on each patient right uh because you have this giant rent seeking uh healthcare system it used to be that you know they they got paid more on a per per visit basis, uh, but you know as, as they get paid less on those now now they have to make it up with volume right they they're they in a sense they're scaling up. Uh, well, so what what happens? Well, they 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 see three patients at the same time, and they they visit each one for about eight minutes, right? And then the rest of the time they're looking up stuff on WebMD or whatever, and. Uh, and and th- this is what they have to do. So the quality of care has gone down because they spent way less time with you because the inflation has made it so that they can't spend as much time and they're not getting paid as much on all of this stuff because the healthcare systems are are in the middle and they're they're trying to control the price and so they can't pay out as much as they used to because of inflation. So you know who gets squeezed the the doctor so now now instead of playing golf every wednesday afternoon they're double triple booking right like it's it's gone way past 
like doctors are now like some of the hardest working because they have to go and see so many patients to make what you know uh, 30 years ago uh, you know somebody that had a much shorter schedule was able to do and th this is th this is also why like so many go into specialties and so on because it's way more lucrative right like uh, okay there's there's a scarcity around like brain surgery or whatever so I need to go into that rather than like family practice or something like that where you do have these like inflationary pressures really getting in, in into it but uh, you know the, these other specialties like they, they don't have as much of that and there's like all sorts of bad incentives there but you get you get uh, the debasement of quality of not just goods, but services as a result of the inflation that's uh, just sort of persistent. Yeah, and then you think of what's the byproduct of that. So the quality of care is lower. So mm -hmm. then, you know, because they don't have time to actually even be on top of mm -hmm. the research and providing for their patients and looking into things like lifestyle habits. Mm -hmm. And then the quality is worse. And then because of the food system, because of mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical push, the fiat push across the board, um, more people are sick. Mm -hmm. So now we have this epidemic of chronic disease. The doctors are useless um, mm -hmm. in the centralized system and everyone's very siloed as well. Like, oh, if you have a gut problem, you know, you need to go to the gut specialist. Mm -hmm. and, uh, really, our whole body is connected, but the system's been set up in that way. So, yeah, it's a it's a travesty. But I think the million dollar question I have for you is, is this all by design or is this a byproduct of just how things came to be? Because obviously the Federal Reserve was set up in mm -hmm. the very, you know, creature of Jekyll Island. This is all very mm -hmm. planned. And, you know, fiat money is a great way to fund war and industrial military complex. And, you mm -hmm. know, the elites stay in power. We lose more control year by year, decade by decade. Um, consumerism's much more easy uh, to grasp the whole society. So, what what is your take on on this? Yeah, so I I liken it kind of to cancer, right? Like uh, when when you're eating like really badly, right? Lots of sugar, stuff like that. You're you're more likely to get cancer because that's kind of what it feeds on. And uh, and I think uh, you know, newly printed money is kind of like the really high fructose corn syrup or really uh, sort of toxic thing for your body where all of these toxic things grow. And the toxic things are like cancer cells. They're, they're rent-seeking, right? Like they, they extract resources without really giving anything back. Uh, they, they are taxing transactions without creating any value. So health, healthcare insurance systems are, uh, you know, just one example. But like I said, all, all of these industries have five big players and they are in many ways uh you know giant rent seekers and what fiat money does is it allows those organizations to thrive and when when they're thriving that means everybody else ends up losing um and they they set policy they they set regulation they set so it's not like uh you know somebody in 1913 said ha we're you know what we're we're going to make the healthcare system worse and kill off a bunch of people I maybe they did but that I don't think that was their ambition. Uh what ends up happening is that you know you get a healthcare industrial complex that sprouts up as a result of the fiat money and everyone within that healthcare industrial complex is motivated to keep it going and keep it growing and keep it uh, keep the rest of the people suffering as a result. So, you know, we get, uh, you know, five large defense contractors and 
they continue to uh, you know figure out ways to have a new war. It's not a coincidence, for example, that right after Afghanistan fell, uh, oh yeah, we're going to have this conflict in Ukraine. As Ukraine is like negotiating for peace, oh, we're now going to have a a, a conflict in Israel, right? Uh, with Iran, maybe, right? Like that 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 sort of thing is very common uh, as these cancer cells grow and. Uh, you know, we we essentially created the Anthony Fauci's of the world, the the you know rent seeking uh, you know CEOs and uh, these companies. It was created. It, these are the children of fiat money. They, this these are the children of the persistent inflation and monetary expansion and the theft of value and everything else. These are all caused ultimately by it, but it wasn't planned. I don't think it's it's just at, at a certain point. You know, as these things grow, there there's nothing stopping their growth. It really is like cancer. Like, you need like, you need to kill it off in some way. And it it would be nice if it were like targeted. But what the system kind of needs is uh, is to destroy a lot of what's built up that's like sucking energy from civilization itself. Yeah, and what you just said is kind of what I want to ask next. You know. Um, Everyone asks me, like, well, what are the risks of Bitcoin or what? To mm-hmm. me, the ri- the biggest risk of Bitcoin is the government and the snap of a finger just completely making all the correct uh, ethical decisions to reverse some of the effects of fiat money. You know, sound economic policy, monetary policy, right? Uh-huh. And what's less likely than that to happen? Um probably nothing you know yeah. probably us all living on mars might even be more likely at this uh-huh. point so is there really any going back at this point yeah i mean like you said uh the government suddenly making sound decisions would would be one of the risks of bitcoin but uh, like these lobbies are way too powerful and i mean we, we we saw just with like the drug companies right like these are the five big drug companies or whatever they they essentially dictated COVID policy for three years. Uh, that is crazy. That is crazy. But that's what they ended up doing. Uh, and we, uh, and you know, you think a lobby that can do something like that is going to give up their power in any way? I mean, it's possible that things get so bad you get like a Javier Millet situation where they they start, um, you know, changing things like whole hawk, but. There is a deep state, and really, what the deep state is—it's a giant rent-seeking bureaucracy that lives within government right now. That—that's what it is, and there's um, motivation for them to survive. And it's—you uh, know—they—they they fight back, but you know they—they have to eat civilization to do it. So, I—I I really don't think there's a way that like things turn around politically. I—I—I I, I think there are just way too many rent seekers, uh, and. Rent seekers will vote in more rent seekers, right? Like that's it's this is like the public employee union problem where, you know, you're negotiating against people that want to give you everything you want. Well, yeah, there's no limit to your growth then. If you've been trying to reap the benefits of nose to tail nutrition while eating a wild game, it can be extremely hard to source and find, and sometimes it just doesn't taste that good. 
Luckily, I found a kick-ass company, Nose Detail Provisions, who offer incredibly delicious, extremely nutritious, regeneratively raised wild game straight to your door. As someone that has personally battled autoimmune disease, like the founders of Nose Detail Provisions, I understand the importance of what you put in your body and the quality behind it. That's why I am honored to have them as a sponsor of Decentralized Radio, and man, their elk snacks are delicious. All of their products are raised, grass-fed, 100% microplastic-free, and deliver a nutritious punch. And right now, I'm proud to offer 10% off anything you order from them using our code DRADIO10. D-R-A-D-I-O-10. Yeah, but it has seemed like there's been quite a shift, right? And way more because of COVID, mostly. Way more people are aware of this. Way more people are aware that money's at least somewhat broken in terms of inflation. Way more people are pissed off that got jabbed and got mm -hmm. wronged by big pharma and in Argentina, for example, like it was so bad for so long that they're like, all right, the only way we're going to fix this is if we, you know, go the complete opposite direction. So mm -hmm. like Malay, that doesn't really, we're not at that stage, right? Like we don't have 50% inflation. We don't mm -hmm. need to like, I mean, not saying we should or should not, but the consensus opinion is not like someone as far uh, I'm even Argentina. But like, I guess in the US, what I'm asking is, you know, do you think that there's going to be some swing back? Um, because it seems like, you know, a lot of politicians are kind of playing into this right now. Is that just kind of like a, an act for a little bit? Because people are definitely more aware of all the issues um, today compared to five years ago. Yeah, I, some people are. But e even in Argentina, Javier Millet got, what, 50-something percent of the vote, right? Like, there, there's 40-something percent that don't get it, right? Or that think... Uh, more socialism, more IMF, more more World Bank. Uh, so there's not not a consensus by any means, which is why it's going to be very hard for him to implement a lot of this stuff because you know forty percent can resist pretty hard, and you know you you try to dismantle it and stuff. I mean, even even when Trump was in office, he tried to eliminate a lot of stuff. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Right? Like it's uh, you need way more than 50%. I think you need like 80%. I think you need like 90%, like what you have with uh, Bukele in El Salvador. Like that that's the degree that you need. Um, now, uh, are we are we going to get there anytime soon? I really doubt it. But I mean, there's sort of like this uh, swing back and forth and it's, it's really like uh, all for show anyway. I, I think the deterioration continues until you get, you know, 80, 90% of people just absolutely sick of it. and you know given how many rent seekers there are i i don't think that's happening it's it's weird because it, you know somebody described the democracy as like two uh, a sheep and two wolves deciding uh, you know who to eat for dinner or what to eat for dinner it's like uh, you you end up swallowing you know the the minority or whatever i think the rent seeking aspect of fiat money has kind of turned democracy into that because you have rent seekers that need continuously need to steal right from everybody else and they do that through inflation now like when you're reducing interest rates you're stealing more when you're raising interest rates you're stealing less and we're kind of at a part of the cycle where they're stealing a little less by raising interest rates um and that that's bringing a little more reality into the market and it's satisfying some of those people like uh you know, I, I, I talked about like the UPS uh, union strike, right? And they're they're now getting paid like 170000 with all benefits included. Uh, yeah, great. Good for them. Could they, they deserve it, right? Like they're actually providing value. We, you know that they're providing value. Whereas, you know, the 
HR DEI person from Twitter that got fired did not deserve a penny, right? Like they they were they were uh, you know detracting value from the economy, but you know on, in a low interest rate environment, those are the people that get funded, and the UPS driver is the one that's getting screwed. In a higher interest rate re- environment, it, it gets reversed, where you know essentially the UPS driver is getting stolen less. Um, so that that's the only pendulum swing I think we're we're seeing right now, but it's not really fixing the whole thing. It's it's just going back and forth a little bit uh, on on like policies as we continue to uh, as Rome continues to burn. Uh, I, I I think what what needs to happen are individuals that like sort of turn on to something like Bitcoin and and you know recognize like the system for what it is and opt out of it. And then you get like a whole parallel economy and the parallel economy does way better than the fiat economy and all of the rent seekers sort of like die a gruesome, slow and tortuous death, which is like, I think nothing less than they deserve. Yeah. And yeah, high interest rate environment might be better, but it's not like we can keep that up for long with the trillion dollars of debt or interest payments every year. <laughs> so how was the reception from legislators? You said, you know, Bitcoin and the American Dream is like targeted from that perspective. And, you know, Vivek has kind of, or Vivek has kind of talked about how people, they know about Bitcoin and mm-hmm. says some of them are, are threatened by, or they know it's a real, or it's challenging current system. Mm-hmm. And then some, a few are embracing, but yeah, how is your perspective there? Because the way I think about it, it's like, if we do get to this 70, 80%, and people are demanding, say, like Bitcoin as the economy, and that's already running on the side chain to the fiat economy. They're either going to have to embrace it or, you know, fight it. And my instinct is they're probably just going to keep wanting to fight it. Hard, yeah, hard. The, they'll try. But the thing is, like, uh, uh, you can't do it by inflation anymore. Inflation is so evil because it's a stealth tax. You you have no idea that you're getting taxed. But uh, if you have an alternative to the money, right, um, then your inflation only gets you so far. There's only so much juice you can squeeze from inflation. And th- this happens in hyperinflating economies all the time. So I was in Lebanon, for example, and th- this was the dynamic. Everyone's using dollars. So, you know, the Lebanese central bank can continue to print more of the Lebanese lira. But I mean, it only goes so far because it, it's gotten to a point where the market anticipates that inflation. So that they they only squeeze like a few drops every time they squeeze, and they're they're getting to a point of rapid diminishing returns where they they can't they can't do it, right? So what what does that mean? Well, that means that the civil servants, right, like the the rent seeking bureaucratic class, uh, which is about like a third of their economy or something like that. Which is you know, obviously very high, but the, those people can't get paid, right? Like because uh, you know the the paychecks that they're receiving are not enough, and then you know when they ask for a raise, that creates more inflation, causes price that it's not not affordable anymore. So you know the, this rent seeking class now has to actually produce in the economy, right? Maybe become a UPS driver, or whatever. Like that 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 ends up becoming the thing that they have to do. Uh, to survive, right? Like you're you're essentially starving the beast because there's an alternative with the dollar that they can't control. They can't print more, of. so they they end up uh, the Lebanese central bank ends up uh, you know becoming neutered in their ability to stealth that. So 
what what's the alternative, right? Like how how do you you know get more revenue if you can't stealth tax? You have to do explicit taxes, and oh boy, those are not popular, right? You 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 need actual tax collectors, you, and, and you know think about how unpopular the IRS is, right? You need and like th this threatens politicians more than anything. So yeah, the dynamic at play is that. Once you take inflation off the table, the only thing that can happen is the reduction of rent seekers. And and that that's sort of like the tipping point that we're looking for as Bitcoiners is that, okay, like they, they're good. I mean, they could try explicit taxes, but like that'll that'll get all the politicians kicked out real quick. Really. And but, you know, the alternative is hyperinflation where you're trying to squeeze more juice out and that can run for, I don't know. Five, 10 years or something, but like it that that goes bust too. At that point, the bureaucratic state has to die. Like they're they they have no other way of feeding uh, off of the rest of us. Uh, it's either explicit taxes or inflation, and explicit taxes will get the politicians fired, and inflation is no longer effective because you have an alternative. Yeah, and what you just said it makes me think about a shift that's kind of already happening mm -hmm. in education here in the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, well, in education, I think, well, the university academia system is a total product of fiat money. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't how many universities do we have in the U.S.? It's like how many people are going, getting useless degrees, getting all this debt. Like, it's insane. Mm -hmm. More people are opting out of that, mm -hmm. um, whether it's YouTube University or they're going into trades because mm -hmm. they realize, hey, I mean, at 18 and three years, I could be making, you know, six figures as a electrician or a plumber or things like that. So that to me is encouraging at least. Um, and I think that's only going to continue um, to accelerate. So it's almost like we're seeing this kind of early, earlier than maybe you'd expect. So I don't know if that's, it's obviously a good thing, but it's uh, it's kind of almost undermining fiat as it continues to get worse. Yeah. And, and you can, you could see it, right? Like uh, the, like I said, if you're providing value, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good time because you're, you're going to get paid. Because uh, there, there's so many rent seekers. Those, those, those are the ones that sort of fall behind as you get more reality, right? Like, uh, so again, the DIHR representative, uh, Twitter, right? They get, they get fired. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that they can't find other jobs, right? It's going to be very hard for them uh, to find jobs, at least in that area. Maybe, maybe you do have to now, like, go learn a trade or actually provide value. Like, th this is the thing about the trades. They provide value, and it's very clear that they provide value, and that that's what a normal economy should be. But instead, like zero interest rate environments, you know, like all that money printing, it makes you want to do like the email jobs, right? Like you're sending five emails, and somehow like you know you're you're not really providing value, but you're 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 getting paid in a zero interest rate environment. Those those jobs are what everyone seeks because they they look and sound easy. You don't have to much in the market and you know you you get chosen not uh or you you're, you don't get paid on results you get paid on like somebody's agenda and that that's much easier than like satisfying the market so that that's what people tend to do um but you know we're we're, we're getting to a point with the high higher interest rate environment where the trades and providing value will actually provide more money and and that that's where we want to be and i think uh that's a natural state of and you know you get you get more reality back as uh as interest rates rise and you know but 
who knows like it, 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 the as, as the fed policy swings back the in the other direction well you're you're going to get sort of like the pump of the rent seeking positions again and then the trades will go down a little bit so you you get this weird balancing uh like going back and forth until like the entire system breaks because there's an alternative yeah and i was about to say it's it's something that is just the crux of like interventionalist monetary policy like mm-hmm. that's why the bust cycles are good because mm-hmm. all those jobs will get eliminated and mm-hmm. then companies will inherently become more efficient because they can't afford to you know have these types of jobs and positions anymore because they can't borrow at free money so I'm curious to see how it plays out in the next 12 to 24 months. I know everybody is. Um, yeah, I'd probably bet on the pendulum swinging back in the in the other direction quite heavily. But who knows? Um, I guess it's all a matter of when and not if um, at this point. But going back to your book, you know, what was what was something you uncovered that obviously fiat money penetrates affects everything? It's literally the the title of your book. Um, what was something that was like surprising to you that kind of like, oh, wow, like this is shocking that people probably don't realize this is really the root cause here? Yeah, I would say like moral standards. <laughs> so that that's not something that uh, that a lot of people would point to. But, uh, you know, high time preference behavior is really just like a lack of virtue. And it is exacerbated in all kinds of ways. Uh, I mean, mostly through that. Right. Like that is bringing forward consumption. So you can have things now versus saving and getting things later, right? You can you can have things now and then get enslaved for a few years. And that's the path that so many people take rather than working for it. And it makes you way less price sensitive, right? Because, you know, you discount the future so much that, oh, you know, I mean, what's another extra three years of slavery if I can get this nice car now or whatever? And that 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 mentality becomes so... Um, corrupting to character, uh, and it, it really affects everything because you you get uh, less virtue from everybody, and that means that uh, everything sort of starts breaking down. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing in society today, where, where you know people have such high time preference that they'd rather be homeless, right? And in a sense, those those are people that are paying for the excesses of earlier, where. Maybe they spent all their money on drugs or gambling or whatever, and they they now have to live on the street because, you know, I mean, even now it's uh, the the high of getting, uh, you know, fentanyl is better than you know, um, you know, uh, the long term, uh, you know, cause, uh, you know, of uh, not being on fentanyl and being a productive member of society. But the moral standards reduce as you get more high time. And you know, all virtue is one. So, in, in a sense, like you have one aspect of character that gets debased. Everything else debases along with it. Um, and the moral moral standards of society have uh, have definitely debased. I think people are less reliable. I, I, like I was reading, for example, about how like college is done, right? Like, and and this guy was saying how you could get paid eighteen dollars an hour working at a construction site, like. No, no experience necessary. They'll, 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 they'll train you or whatever. Eighteen dollars an hour, and if you just show up for six months, now you're a foreman, and you get paid thirty five dollars an hour. Wow. <laughs> and then, and then, like six, uh, like maybe, maybe another twelve months after that, you get promoted again, and soon you're making six figures, right? Like, like two and a half years or something, and you're making six figures. 
why, why is that paying so much? It's because there's so few people that'll just show up every day. Yeah. That's, that's how bad things have gotten. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. The, the work shortage for like manual labor and jobs is in, I just can't understand it. I mean, mm -hmm. construction, like any sort of labor trades, it's, yeah, it's insane. And, and that drives the cost up tremendously. Mm -hmm. So it's almost another whole feedback loop <laughs> of inflation right there. And yeah, people just don't want to work. And I don't understand why, because I don't, I guess maybe have that mindset, but I guess they're so comfortable in whatever they're doing, making less money or just in the convenience of the fiat world. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's like sort of like a sanctity of work that's kind of gotten lost because of all the land seeking jobs, you know, like the, uh, we like the fact of you actually having to work hard. Yeah, is that what you're saying? I, uh, well, it's it's more like um, rent seeking jobs and value producing jobs have been conflated together, right? We just call it a job, whatever it is, and uh, and that's a big problem because one, you're actually producing something for society, and the other is more or less satisfying some bureaucrats' preferences and giving permission here or there or something like that. Um, and they they have very different effects on the economy, very different effects on your psyche, very different effects on like, you know, how you view the world and so on. Um, but I think most people, when they think of a job, they think more like a rent seeker. Okay, here, here's something that I get to do, uh, or, or here's my place where I can sort of collect a check by charging tolls <laughs> on the highway that you must cross or something like that. And that, that, that's what they do, right? This is, this is where they are, um, like where their mental space is. So, you know, for them, like unemployment's not very different than say a rent seeking job. And like, you can kind of view it that way. It's actually probably less destructive than a rent seeking job, unemployment, like paying it, paying it out. So for them, they, you know, it's, it's all the same, right? Like, uh, all right. If, if, if I'm not providing value, like, yeah, why, why not sit at home and play my X, Xbox or whatever and not do this boring email job or whatever instead of, you know, actually providing value to others? Because that, that's, I think, what get a lot of people that do provide value, like, that's, that's the motivation. Uh, not just the money, but it's this knowledge that you're, you're actually benefiting other people in some way. It, it like, sort of, like, um, uh, fits you into a community, right? You you found your place in like providing value to others instead of sucking value from others. And that that's satisfying. There there's uh something good about that where you kinda wanna keep doing that because of uh you know the the market signals that that are actually working rather than, you know, sort of this rent seeking stuff. So I, I think that's the main reason why people people really don't want to work. Yeah, I'm curious if that's gonna change. Um yeah. when people realize or maybe enough people get laid off from their <laughs> rent seeking jobs another area that i think about a lot and i talked about on a podcast yesterday is technology mm. and how fiat technology has made or, or fiat has made technology addictive for by design and made everyone low dopamine and that's kind of that's kind of played into this whole mindset right mm. um, we don't have fulfillment from actually accomplishing things anymore we're just on our phone on social media getting that short-term hits all day every day whether that's through netflix or social media or tiktok or 
porn or, you know, whatever. It, it's the degradation of society. Have you thought about that, you know, mm-hmm. and how big tech, obviously, five, six companies, um, <laughs> have done this maybe purposefully by design to keep this seven to eight percent hurdle easily overcome with you know newer and newer you got to get the newest phone you got to get the newest laptop it's not going to work the cars you know everything have Mm. you thought about that yeah i I have and uh and the big turn i think is right around 1971 because the the technological progress like uh changed its character right around that so it used to be okay we were building rocket ships to the moon or whatever and trying to figure out, okay, what what's like a better transportation method, making things faster, easier, and, um, you know, like trying trying new technologies that would sort of push the frontier, if you will. Um, right around 1971, things started turning inward. So television was already pretty big, but it was it was getting even bigger, right? You had, you, had, uh, you know, cable TV come in in like the early 80s and stuff like that. You, you had... Um, you know, obviously the internet, every, everything sort of started turning inward. So tech, technology before 71 was more outward facing, right? Like it was it was trying to um, conquer new places. Uh, technology after 1971, it became way more inward focused. So you, you got stuff like, uh, you know, television and whatever, but like, you know, all the way to like the social media doom scrolling that you have now. But it, think about all of that technology. It's it's not producing anything. It is navel gazing. It is okay, like what so and so doing or whatever. It's not actually like uh, the the technology uh, that people are pursuing tend to be more like consumer driven, right? It, it's more about satisfying um, people's desires to focus inward rather than. Uh, pushing of the frontier to create new kinds of things uh, and stuff like that. So I point out in the book that I think to a large degree, like technological development stopped right, right around 1971. Uh, and, you know, oh, we have the internet and we have this and we have that. It's like, yeah, but like they're all inward facing, right? Like they're, they're not, they're not going outward. Uh, like we, we had, uh, we had shorter flight times from New York to London back in the 60s than we do now. Like we're going backwards. We're like actively going backwards. Uh, you know, we had the Concord for a while that was way faster, but that stopped running in 2004. We we have interesting tech that we could be developing, right? So 1950s and 60s, we developed the nuclear submarine. This is, uh, and you know, a lot of people think a nuclear submarine is one that can launch nuclear weapons or something. No, no it's just fueled by nuclear power. And uh, what? Uh, and if you think about a submarine, it has to go way underneath, and it needs to be around the bottom of the sea for a while, right? Like a significant amount of time. Like if you're, uh, you know, like in enemy territory or whatever, you want to be, uh, you don't have to get up and fuel, refuel every three days or something like that. And this is what a nuclear power uh, submarine like lets you do: is you power at once. And your your fuel is good for eighteen months. You can you can stay under the sea for eighteen months, and we had this technology in the fifties, and still use it today, right? Um, and it's not just nuclear submarines at this point. I think you have nuclear aircraft carriers, uh, nu- nuclear ice pickers, and uh, you know places where they're like refueling is just impractical. This this the tech that they use, especially with water. But think about like how energy dense nuclear must be to 
be able to power an entire submarine for 18 months. That is some insane power density. Where has that technology gone? Well, they use the same exact design, right? Because uh, nuclear submarines you use seawater to uh, heat up the seawater, and that heats up, uh, you know, more water, and they they that which turns a turbine. That exact same design is what they use for nuclear power plants, right? And that that's the only one that that's been more or less allowed to exist. So they 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 haven't really developed nuclear power much since then. The, the nuclear power uh, plants that are in existence, especially like in France and all those places, it's the same exact design as a nuclear submarine. How come we haven't tried other stuff, right? Because like how cool would it be if your car didn't need to fuel, right? Like, and, you know, I, I talked with an engineer one time about that and they're like, yeah, if you had nuclear fuel, you wouldn't need to, you know, refuel your car for like 10 years. I mean, this is order of magnitude difference. Right? Like most people refuel their car once a week. This is crazy, right? Like this, this is like crazy, crazy innovation that we could have had, but just absolutely stopped starting around 1970. It's so sad to me. <laughs> like it's even in the science world where I geek out, like there was so much, so many cool researchers like in the 40s, 50s, 60s, <laughs> early 70s. And then I was like, the door was shut, you yeah. know? And that's also contributed, I think, from the technology side of things to like human health issues because we didn't, they just didn't care whether, you know, things are bad for our health, you know, mm -hmm. our phones are, you know, the way we do everything on a daily basis when there's simple engineering solutions that could have been made in the beginning, but instead they chose the route of consumerism and addictive technology, which I guess you encompass that very well as being very inward facing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about to getting back to a more of a, you know, Bitcoin standard or an, a value based standard is because people always I think they conflate that. They're like, wow, well, this technology we have is great. We're talking on the Internet. You know, Bitcoin mm -hmm. is a result of this. And I'm like, yeah, but like imagine what we could have had. I mean, we were supposed to be like, well, like all the 2000s, 21st century, we were supposed to do, be doing way more cool shit at this point. We were supposed to have moon bases and we were supposed to have a you know trip to Mars and stuff like that. Not, none of that has happened because no, no one really was allowed to push the frontier. And this is one of the, one of the things that fiat money does is it keeps everything static because the incumbents want to stay in their position. The reason we don't have nuclear power is because there's corrupt uh, sort of like bargain made between like fossil fuel companies and the green lobby to basically kick out nuclear in every way shape or form so like they knew it was a threat and but they wanted to keep their position right standard oil like you know and all of its derivative companies uh you know, they they wanted their position they're some of the biggest companies in the world to this day they they wanted to keep their position and the way you do that in a fiat economy is get subsidized and like regulate away competition and stuff i mean they're they're really like Air travel has not changed in like 60 years, like not significantly. Yeah, now now maybe you have a screen in front of you or something, and yeah, you get blasted by Wi-Fi <laughs> the whole entire time. And and maybe maybe the you know overhead compartment is like a little more efficient with standardized luggage, and you know you could put it up on its side or something. But really, the fundamental design of an airplane has not changed in 60 years. What's going on? Well, I mean. You could have new designs, but there's so much regulation around, uh, you know, like what what you're allowed to do with commercial aircraft that really there's only two companies left that that produce 
commercial aircraft. It's yeah. a, it's Airbus. Boeing and Airbus. Yeah. That's it. Like, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I read about like drone technology, for example. That's like one way in which, uh, you know, they, they've advanced maybe like the last 10 years. And it turns out like a lot of that tech comes from cell phones. And it's like, oh, we could use a cell phone technology for drones or whatever. But they, they've come up with ways to use drone technology for, you know, uh, transporting people, right? Because you, you, could, you could transport packages yeah. just fine. You just you just put like yeah, and and you you could totally do it, but you know not allowed FAA right like that this would cut into Boeing and Airbus uh, and you know Delta and uh, United and American Airlines profits, so we can't have that. So like this technology isn't allowed to develop uh, where you know you might have very different ways of transport, right? Imagine like. Well, I'm just thinking about the traffic I've been sitting in here in Austin because I'm from I'm living in Wyoming. And I can't deal with traffic. I'm like this, like there's no way this should be a real thing. Yeah. Like in 2023, are you? I mean, me? like think about all the. There's nothing space. we can do. <laughs> like uh, and like, car companies have more or less like uh, regulated like these weird like city designs into existence because you know they they keep their position because there's no other sort of method of transportation that's available and you 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 could have entire cities that are working off of drone technology that lets you go from place to place and like entire you know you, you get all of this like footprint back from the roads that you can reclaim and like you can make them human sized and like you could make entire cities completely walkable maybe like i don't know, use scooter tech like there there could be so many other things but because the incumbents control so much and because they're so large and employ so many people and have so many uh, lobbyists and stuff like that, you, you don't get any of this. And you, you, you stay static. Like, you know, car, cars haven't changed much design either, right? Like, they, I, I, I was seeing, like, a picture of, like, cars from, like, 30 different manufacturers. They all, all look the same. Yeah. It, it's, it's, like, basically been standardized. And... And this, like, we're not getting innovation. We're not getting technology. We're not pushing the frontier in any way because the incumbents get to keep what they have, and that means that you don't. We can't have nice things because the incumbents, must, the rent seekers, must keep their position. Yeah, and say what you want about Elon Musk. I mean, I don't love the guy, but he's been challenging this mainstream view, this dogma. So I, it's a good thing in that regard, right? Like at least throwing some crazy ideas out there, like innovation like it just doesn't if he's so radical for just you know trying to change you know a car going to space you know but the tunneling for the traffic yeah there should be 10 guys like that there should be 20 we should all there should be so many people like that but it's there's so many hurdles because of the uh the fiat system that only a, a billionaire the richest guy in the world but is a result he is the richest guy in the world because the result of disrupting but it's not it's so challenging and that's yeah and 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 think about the people that would have gone into that that are now in the investment banking right <laughs> that's or like doing a you know scammy web3 startup or something like that, that that's what they would rather do because it's easier your 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 income is more sure and you don't have to take as much risk comfortable yeah um but the, this is this is another thing about fiat money is that it takes all the entrepreneurs out of the equation and ter- turns them into rent seekers. Like, the, I mean, talk about like the worst trade off imaginable. Your most productive people 
that would be inventing stuff, like creating companies, adding a tremendous amount of value. They're instead sucking the equivalent amount of value. It's turning a giant positive into a giant negative. That this this is why civilization continues to crumble. It's so insane. Is there something you're specifically excited about from like say a more value-based Bitcoin standard, you know, architecture or just technology, like something personally that you'd be most excited about? Something in your daily life that really drives you insane or I mean, I I, I honestly like the more I learn about nuclear and the potential of nuclear, it's just like, okay, we could have cars that could not, not need fueling. You could design them completely differently, right? Like uh or uh, you could have airplanes that could fly for a week, right? Like, wait, what? <laughs> right? Like, probably a lot you know, faster too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, probably uh, get them faster. I mean, you, you need some sort of like nuclear jet engine or something like that, uh, which needs development and stuff. But entirely possible, right? The the power output of nuclear is just so dense. You could design them very differently. You don't have to carry all of this very heavy fuel and it get very inefficient. You can, uh, you know have very different like all kinds of things and you can you could try different things you can um have you know three-dimensional sort of like traffic instead of like two-dimensional ones that we have on roads but like we we should be living in the future but no we're still living in the 70s right like that it it really hasn't like the physical um world is not really that much different than the 70s like the technology just kind of is stuck there and we haven't progressed and you know all this hope that we have for the future it it's all kind of gone to naught because things kind of stay the same under a fiat economy yeah that i'm i'm glad to see this resurgence in nuclear somewhat or at least like it was literally dead i mean there was like no new plants no new anything so um i'm excited to see that <laughs> yeah it is so sad it is sad because like especially as like i grew up mostly in the 2000s Born in '96, it's like, yeah, I should have all this cool stuff. You know, we should be way further ahead. I, even even your laptop is charging right now, yeah. right? And your your oh, phone is has so a battery. Shit. You have to. It's yeah, so, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, instead of battery, if you had like a little bit of nuclear fuel in there, nuclear for everything. I mean, you, you could run your laptop twenty four seven for two years, probably, and like nothing. Like it, it's always on. Like. It, you you wouldn't need like the electric company like uh you know fueling your house. You have your own personal nuclear thingy, and then like you 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 have power to your entire house, no blackouts, nothing. I mean, think of the grid. Right. Like, no 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 electrical wires. Right. Like it, you could you could dig a well. You could you could have a ranch in Wyoming that doesn't have you know connection to anything. You 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 have internet through the satellite. You have uh you know uh, a well on your property. You have energy through that. Like you. It could be so different, but instead we're stuck with the technology from the 70s. We haven't progressed at all because the incumbent keep everything the same. That's such a good point. Jimmy, what is next for you? Last question here. Um, Fiat runs everything. Obviously, you're going to promote that. It's definitely worth reading, everybody. I'm going to recommend it. I think uh, it's just so pervasive. And my job is also to convince a lot of the health-focused people to get into Bitcoin. I mm. think this is a perfect book for them. And I'm going to write a bit about some of the topics we discussed here. But yeah, what is what is next on your journey, your mission? Uh, I, I think I need to go back to my technical roots. So, uh, you know, I, I will be doing a Taproot Music Frost seminar on January 8th. Commons. Um, I have a, a, a programming blockchain seminar. This is the 
class that's based on, or the book programming Bitcoin is based on that. So I'll, I'll be running that in Dubai in February. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, the plan is to do more of these seminars, more of the uh, technical work. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that hasn't been embraced by the Bitcoin companies in this space. And this is my way of sort of nudging them towards the better secure security systems that we can get as a result of these upgrades that we've had the past few years. I love it. That's definitely needed. Where can, obviously they could buy your book on Amazon, but is it on the safe house as well? Or uh, it's, it? uh, it's on my website, website, uh, website, uh, Fiat Ruins Everything, and you can order directly. I'm using ZapRite yeah. as, the, <laughs> as the payment processor, by the way. Wonderful service. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you can also buy it at BitcoinMagazine.com, and they, they have a store there, so you can, you can just buy it directly there. Um, but yeah, if, if you want a signed copy, go to FiatRuinsEverything.com. Amazing. Yeah, don't buy it on Amazon if you can buy it with Bitcoin. <laughs> Use it. And then social media. Yeah, Jimmy Song on X, um, jimmysong.substack.com for my newsletter. Uh, My website is programmingbitcoin.com. And you have a podcast of your own as well, right? Yeah, Fiat Ruins Everything. I mean, mean, Bitcoin fixes everything (laughs) or fixes this. And uh, Fiat Ruins Everything is sort of like a play on that. Um, But yeah, that's... uh, that's a podcast that I do. Uh, you know, try to release about once a week, but you know, some weeks I skip it. So, so yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me here. It's a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll see you next time.